Well, good morning, everybody. It's good to be back. Um, I'm only here for one week because next week we're scheduled to be off anyway. Uh, just a few things I kind of feel I need to say so that we all um, kind of know where we're up to. None of us know how this chemotherapy and stuff is going to affect me, so it is a bit suck it and see. Um, it's great to be here and I feel okay this morning, but I will probably sit down for most of the hymns because I need to conserve my energy. I have to be sensible. I know that's hard to believe, but I do have to be sensible. Uh, it's great to see lots of students with us. That's fantastic. We hope you do enjoy the time with us this morning, and if you feel you'd like to come back again, that would be even better. And we have some other students around who've been with us a while, so they can tell you what we're really like. We're going to have as our call to worship this morning some words from a contemporary worship song called Indescribable. From the highest of heights to the depths of the sea, creations revealing your majesty. From the colours of fall to the fragrance of spring, every creature unique in the song that it sings, all exclaiming, indescribable, uncontainable. You place the stars in the sky and you know them by name. You are amazing, God. All-powerful, untamable. Awestruck, we fall on our knees as we humbly proclaim, You are amazing, God. Incomparable, unchangeable, you see the depths of my heart and you love me the same. You are amazing, God. And so let's come to God in our prayers of praise and adoration. Let's pray together. Indescribable God, we come to you now in a mix of awe and wonder. We cannot find words rich enough to express who you are. Closer than our Father, stronger than our Lord, safer than our refuge, nearer than our helper, wiser than our counsellor. Truly, you are amazing, God. And with the poverty of our love, we adore you. Creative and creating God, we revel in the glory of autumn, the shiny brown coats of conkers set free from green spiky cases. The red, gold, brown, yellow of leaves that blow in the wind and crunch beneath our feet. The cosy feeling as we close the doors, pull the curtains and shut out the gloomy rain of a drink evening. The excitement of new places and new people as a new academic year gets going. Sustaining God, we rest in the safety of your certainty, in the disquiet of change and the anxiety of new beginnings, in the end of the familiar and the challenge of the unknown, in the assurance that our secret fears are known to you 
and you love us just the same. In the promise that you will never abandon us or allow us to be pushed beyond our ability to cope. Redeeming God, we gratefully receive your healing touch. In the struggles between right and wrong, good and bad. In the questions that torment our minds. In the regret of things done or left undone. In the times that we know we have drifted away from your ever open arms. God, beyond knowing, in this hour, help us to focus on you and to learn from you so that we might live for you and love with you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Our scripture this morning shall be found in the book of John, chapter 6, verses 1 to 13. Again, John, chapter 6, verses 1 to 13. It's on page 124 on the Pew Bible. After this, Jesus went across Lake Galilee, or Lake Tiberias, as it is also called. A large crowd followed him because they had seen his miracles of healing those who were ill. Jesus went up a hill and sat down with his disciples. The time of the Passover festival was near. Jesus looked round and saw a large crowd was coming to him. So he asked Philip, Where can we buy enough food to feed all these people? He said this to test Philip. Actually, he already knew what he would do. Philip answered, For everyone to have even a little, it would have taken more than 200 silver coins to buy enough bread. Another of his disciples, Andrew, who was Simon Peter's brother, said, There is a boy here who has five loaves of barley bread and two fish, but they will certainly not be enough for all these people. Make the people sit down, Jesus told them. There was a lot of grass there, so all the people sat down. There were about 5,000 men. Jesus took the bread, gave thanks to God, and distributed it to the people who were sitting there. He did the same with the fish, and they all had as much as they wanted. When they were all full, he said to his disciples, Gather the pieces left over. Let us not waste any. Verse 13. So they gathered them all up and filled twelve baskets with the pieces left over them. The five barley loaves which the people had eaten. Thank you, Adi. 
Today we've got a two-for-one offer on sermons, buy one, get one free, or something like that anyway. Or at least we have two different reflections arising from stories from Galilee that centre on the theme of fish, lots of fishy goings-on in Galilee. There aren't all that many stories that appear in all four of the Gospels, but this is one of those that does. And each Gospel writer has got his own take on the story emphasising some specific aspect of what happened, so that through his words, we may discover something unique and special about the the love of God revealed to us in Jesus. If you've got the time, it's worth reading the four versions and seeing what's different and asking yourself, well, why did Luke or Matthew or Mark or John tell the story this way? Why this emphasis? John's Gospel tells tells us that this event took place close to the time of the Passover festival. And I think that's significant. It's a time when the people would have been looking back and remembering how God had provided bread for their ancestors during the time in the desert. A time when they were meant to remember that God is a God of providing. And yet, you know, as they remembered this miracle of times past... The disciples were just like, I guess, that we would be. Very ordinary, practical, down-to-earth people. And when Jesus said, well, go and sort out dinner for this lot, they said, well, don't be daft. We haven't got enough money. In fact, the translation that I've got in front of me said it would be eight months' wages to buy enough food for them to get a taste each. Don't be daft, Jesus. That's just not possible. We know we're meant to be thinking about God's providing in ancient times, but... Don't be daft. And yet, one of the unique features that John tells us is there was a boy in the crowd with five barley loaves and two fish. I checked the other three Gospels. They don't mention a boy. Made me wonder if maybe this was who wrote the Gospel. My little theory for the week. Don't know. (laughs) We don't know anything more about this boy at all. And yet the centuries have woven legends around him. He's become some kind of hero for adults and children alike. We tend to assume, because nobody tells us any different, that it was his picnic, his packed lunch, if you like. And we also assume he handed it all over. We don't know for certain that either of those was the case. But it does seem to make good sense. And so I'm going to assume that he did. So he gave what he had, his five loaves and his two fish. And Andrew, the apostle who took it, who's been around Jesus quite a long time by now, says, well, this is nice, but it's not going to go very far, is it? It's a great gesture. It might be an example, but nobody's going to be able to spread that amongst all these people. Now, we don't know how the miracle happened. And it's prompted a lot of speculation through the centuries, whether it was some supernatural multiplication of the food or whether God's spirit working through this young boy prompted other people to get out the little packets of food that they got secreted on their person and share. I don't think it matters how it happened. What matters is it did happen because one person, a boy, gave to Jesus what he could He gave his lunch. And it seems there's a very simple and yet, you know what, a very difficult message for us. If we give what we can, what we have to God, 
then God will, in the old-fashioned language, bring the increase. God will do the rest. If we all do our bit, give what we can, God will do the miracle, however that happens. And this little story ends up with the ingathering of a dozen baskets of leftovers. Now, one of the things that somebody said to me when I was at college is, well, where did those baskets come from? Were there 12 people who just happened to have a basket? I don't know. It doesn't matter, does it? What matters is they gathered in what was left over for a purpose. The purpose was that nothing should be wasted. But what did that mean? So I've been wondering about this week. What did they do with 12 baskets full of leftover food? (coughs) Who on earth got to eat it all up? Did they have fish sandwiches for days and days to come? Was it worse than the turkey at Christmas? Did they give it to the poor people, to the outcasts, to the lepers, to the foreigners? You see, not wasting is a lot more than just gathering in. It's gathering in for a purpose and employing whatever it is. Part of my own philosophy on life for a long, long time has been that nothing is ever wasted. Or at least nothing needs to be wasted, which isn't quite the same thing. You can't get to where what I want to say neatly from the Bible passage. In fact, I don't know a Bible passage that neatly fits with, quite with my philosophy on nothing being wasted. But it does seem to me that in everything that happens in our lives there is a choice to be made. We can waste the opportunity or we can use the opportunity. Some of the experiences we have are pleasant and others are not. But in either case, we have a choice about what we do with them. Now, don't get me wrong. I do not believe the Bible calls us to revel in struggle or suffering as if that's somehow suitably holy and pious any more than I think we are free to be hedonistic or decadent in the good times, the times of plenty. But I do believe that in the good times and in the tough times, we can learn of God, we can grow in faith, we can worship and we can serve. How that might work out will be different for different ones of us in different circumstances. But... The increase that God gives us is for us to employ. And so I find myself wondering about those 5,000 people going down from the hillside after that amazing picnic. I wonder what they were talking about. I wonder what they were thinking about. I wonder how that experience changed them. Did it nourish them? Did it make them different people or better people? Or was it all actually just a waste? And what about us? What do we do with what we are offered by God? We're going to hear now two more readings of Fishy Goings On at Galilee. (coughs)
Our next scripture reading shall be found in the book of Luke, chapter 5, verses 1 to 11. Luke, chapter 5, verses 1 to 11. One day, Jesus was standing on the shore of Lake Grenesad, while the people pushed their way up to him to listen to the word of God. He saw two boats pulled up on the beach. The fishermen had left them and were washing the nets. Jesus got into one of the boats. It belonged to Simon and asked him to push off a little from the shore. Jesus sat in the boat and taught the crowd. When he finished speaking, he said to Simon, Push the boat out further to the deep water, and you and your partners lay down your nets for a catch. Master, Simon answered, We worked hard all night long and caught nothing. But if you say so, I will lay down the nets. They let them down and caught such a large number of fish that the nets were about to break. So they motioned to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. They came and filled boats, boats so full of fish that the boats were about to sink. When Simon Peter saw what had happened, he fell on his knees before Jesus and said, Go away from me, Lord, I am a sinful man. He and the others with him were all amazed at the large number of fish they had caught. The same was true of Simon's partner, James and John, the sons of Zebedee. Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on, you will be catching people. They pulled the boats up on the beach, left everything, and followed Jesus. And our last scripture reading for this morning is uh, John chapter 21, verses 3 to 14. Again, John chapter 21, verses 3 to 14, page 146. Simon Peter said to the others, I am going fishing. We will come with you, they told him. So they went out in a boat. But all that night they did not catch a thing. As the sun was rising, Jesus stood at the water edge. But the disciples did not know what it was, Jesus. Then he asked them, Young men, haven't you caught anything? Not a thing, they answered. He said to them, Throw your net out on the right side of the boat, and you will catch some. So they threw the net out and could not pull it back in, because they had caught so many fish. The disciples whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. When Peter heard that it was the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment round him, for he had taken his clothes off and jumped into the water. 
The other disciples came to shore in the boat, pulling the net full of fish. They were not very far from land, about a hundred meters away. When they stepped ashore, they saw a charcoal fire there with fish on it and some bread. Then Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish you have just caught. Simon Peter went abroad and dragged the net ashore full of big fish. In all, 153 in all, even though there were so many, still the net did not tear. Jesus said to them, Come and eat. None of the disciples dared ask him, Who are you? Because they knew it was the Lord. So Jesus went over, took the bread, and gave it to them. He did the same with the fish. This then was the third time Jesus appeared to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. May the Lord bless his word. So, miraculous catch of fish. Or actually, the miraculous catches of fish, because here are two different stories. One at the start of Jesus' ministry, and one right at the end. Now, those interesting things about the synoptic gospels and the fourth gospel, that similar-sounding story occurs in different places, but neither, none of the gospels has both versions But there's an overlap in these stories because both of them begin from a place of disappointment and end with a place of new challenge. And it seems maybe that there is something significant that the similar story is told about the disciples at the beginning of their relationship with Jesus and just before Jesus leaves them to carry on the work he has been doing. Perhaps whether we are early in our faith or have known Jesus a long time, we need this story or these stories to speak to us. So we start with Luke's gospel. And Luke has Jesus right at the start of his ministry. He's been baptised, he's been into the desert, and he's had his horrible experience at Nazareth where he proclaimed to his own people who'd known him as he grew up, this is what God has called me to do. And they sort of drummed him out of town and wanted to bump him off there and then. And now he's standing on the shore of Lake Galilee, also known as Gennesaret, watching the fishing boats. It's just an everyday occurrence in Galilee. And he sees Simon, who the Gospels suggest he already knew, and he says to Simon, look, can I get in your boat and let's go out onto the sea? And once they're out there, Jesus says to Simon, let down your nets for a catch. Now, the Simon that we're going to get to know in the Gospels is the kind of person who's not going to be best pleased when some carpenter preacher bloke tells him how to fish. But there's something new in this relationship. So when Jesus says, let your your nets down for the fish, Simon says, well, okay. You know, we've been fishing all night and we didn't catch anything and we are really the experts here, but 
If you tell us to do it, we'll do it. You see, I think those fishermen would have been pretty tired and pretty despondent, and they wanted to get home, most likely, to have a nice meal and go direct to bed. And yet something prompts them to do what Jesus says. And it's a familiar story for most, if not all of us. The nets are so full of fish that they start to tear, and they need help to land the catch. And these four fishermen have the catch of a lifetime. Presumably, they could have made a fortune from selling these fish. And Jesus says, I have an opportunity for you. I found myself thinking of Dragon's Den at this moment. Those of you who watch the Dragon's Den, I've got an opportunity for you here. And he's not saying, I'll give you 100K for a 50% investment in your fishing business. He's not saying, no, I'm out or anything like that. He says, look, this is the opportunity that I have for you. Stop catching fish and start fishing for people. Drawing other people into this exciting and scary life of discipleship. And what's so amazing is they go. The Gospels just tell us that they left everything and went and followed Jesus. And as the story continues, if we read on in the Gospels, it's around about three years that they live with Jesus and begin to find out what this means, this fishing for people, this bringing other people into the kingdom that Jesus is proclaiming, this good news for all people. So if we move into John's gospel, we fast forwarded about three years, and here are some of the same men, even more let down and disappointed. Because they gave up everything. They left those boats on the shore and the fish, presumably. And they followed Jesus wherever he went for three years. And now, well, quite frankly, what's the point? He's been executed. He's risen. They've even seen him resurrected, but they've lost all enthusiasm for the work of the mission. They seem very dejected as they go back to their fishing boats, and perhaps they're wondering, why on earth did I ever get involved in any of this anyway? What is there to show for these last three years? So Simon gets into a boat, and the others go with him. Seven of them go off in the boat, and they spend the night fishing, and they catch nothing. Have they lost the knack in those three years? Was it just another bad night on Galilee? Were they just unlucky? Light began to dawn and they got nothing to show. They couldn't even do the things they used to do before they went off with Jesus. How must they have felt in that moment? As if everything, everything was against them. And just to add insult to injury, there's some shadowy stranger on the shore who says, "Um, well, how's it gone then? Interesting, they're called young men in the Good News translation. Friends, what have you caught? Nothing. We've been out all night and we've caught nothing. And he says, well, if you put your nets over the other side... 
Could it be that he could see something they couldn't? A shadow of a shoal of fish? Was it just that there was nothing left for them to lose? I don't know. But something prompted these tired, dejected, disappointed disciples to do as this guy said. And they caught, and it's this lovely detail only John would tell us, 153 fish. Somebody must have counted them. 153 fish. And in that catching of the fish, in that moment, they recognized who Jesus was. This stranger on the shore turned out, after all, to be their friend, their saviour. And amazingly, he'd already got some fish that he was barbecuing. And when they got back to shore, they had breakfast together on the beach. I think all of us can sometimes be a little bit like those disciples. We followed Jesus faithfully. We've worked hard in the work of the kingdom, but we can feel let down. Disappointed by the way things turned out. Confused because what we thought was so certain crumbled like dust. Elsewhere in John's Gospel, we find Jesus getting a little bit annoyed with his disciples who seem to need sign after sign after sign of who he is, but they still don't quite understand. Now, if I'm honest, I don't think that God is going to give us sign after sign after sign, miracle after miracle after miracle, each time we feel disappointed or let down. Because if that was the case, we wouldn't be growing up. We wouldn't be growing in faith and maturity. But what I do believe firmly is that God has already given us signs and we can look back to those signs be reminded that we're on the right track. And I suspect that you will know what your signs are, just as I know what mine are. I'm quite certain that God brought me here for a purpose, and maybe some of the purpose is being revealed at the moment, who knows. In Luke's account told to the fishermen, Jesus said, I want you to go fishing for people. In John's account, after they've had breakfast, Jesus recommissions Peter with the commission to care for his flock. And I have a suspicion that this is the kind of thing that happens for us. Every now and again, we look up and see Jesus calling to us out of the thick of our disappointments and in the midst of our joys as well, and saying, I've got a new opportunity for you, an opportunity to learn and grow, an opportunity to serve me, to be my disciple. And we have a choice in that moment. We can say yes, or we can say no. We can give what we can, knowing that nothing is ever wasted, we can trust that God will show us even how our disappointments can become opportunities if we're open to hear Christ's voice. Now, the reality is that for all of us today, life is in a different place from anybody else. We're all unique. And some people are really excited. Some people are just beginning 
a new time in Glasgow, which is the fun most fantastic city to live in, new excitement about studying and learning, and that's great. For others, there is anxiety, and there might be for the new people as well, finding your way around this place, and will I get to the right lecture on time, or whatever it is. Matt might be quite anxious about going overseas, and will that work out all right for him? Some of us, life has challenges. Some of us, life feels great. For some of it, it's toil. For some of it, it's laughter. For some of it, it's regret. Whatever it is, it doesn't matter because this same God who walked by Galilee in the person of Christ works with us here in Glasgow. And surely, in Glasgow, in Malaysia, in Stirling, wherever we happen to live, God is with us and Christ calls to us. Friends, let down your nets one more time and then come, follow me. Let's pray. Fear not to enter his courts in the slenderness of the poor wealth you would reckon to own, truth in its beauty and love in its tenderness. These are the offerings to bring to his throne. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we have this open invitation to bring our many cares and bring them to you, secure in the certainty that whatever we bring, you will accept for the name that is dear. And so this morning we continue to worship you in our prayers for others. This morning, as a new academic year begins, we would remember all who are involved in further education, whether it be professors and lecturers or secretaries and janitors. May they truly respect the trust of the young people they will have in their care. We thank you for the lively group of students we had in here yesterday for the welcome tea, representing just some of the thousands who are setting out, some filled with expectation and excitement, but also those with a bit of fear and trepidation for an uncertain and difficult future. May they find what they are looking for and not be led astray by newfound freedoms and the temptations they see around them. Help them to take the opportunities and not waste them. We pray for the student Christian movements which try to bear witness to your presence and love. May they know your strength and help in all that they do. May they be led by your love rather than their own desire to achieve anything. I also pray for university chaplains and all the churches who try to provide friendship and care. Thank you for those who have been involved in the welcome this week here in this church. We know that there are many others throughout the churches and the chaplains who are all involved in bringing hope and strength to needy young people. Father, we'd also remember the papal visit 
of this week, which is drawing to a close as we are here. We thank you for the joy that we've seen in people worshipping you. We pray that ecumenical spirit may continue to grow, that the love shown between churches should be evident to the rest of the world, that the many failings of the churches might be put into the context of their love for each other and your love for us. Father, we also pray for this world in need. Those who are suffering from the effects of earthquake, flood and war. We bring them all to you. We see pictures on the television and it helps us to understand just how difficult it must be. But only you can be aware of their needs. And so we trust in you. We pray for all those who are committed to helping, whether it be in your name or just helping. May they find strength. Pray for those at this time of economic uncertainty who face unemployment or reduction in their standard of living. May they again, too, find strength in your love. We bring the those who are ill, those who are recovering from illness, those who fear that they are ill. Pray that you will reach out to them in love. Pray for all those who are involved in helping the sick, doctors and nurses and porters and janitors. These, though we bring them in trembling and fearfulness, he will accept for the name that is dear. Mornings of joy give for evenings of fearfulness, trust for our trembling, and hope for our fear. Amen. <laughs>